Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, August 29th. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, join us next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you're a part of FaithBridge Online, join us at faithbridge.org live. Here's Pastor Ken. So, uh, let's see. This was the weekend that college football got going again, right? And yeah, that's always fun. Reminded me of a quote from a coach of the University of Oklahoma football team from a previous era who famously said, football is a game where you have 50,000 people who desperately need some exercise gathering to watch 22 guys who desperately need some rest. And I mentioned that because if you were here last Sunday, you remember we were talking about how you and you and you and you and you online and you in the communion venue, however it is that you're here, when we come to worship God, you're not the spectators, you're not the audience watching some of us up here doing the worshiping, remember? We were talking about last week how, no, those of us who are up here, we're just the prompters. We're just kind of like the cheerleaders, just getting it going. But you're the actual worshipers. You're the ones who are, who are worshiping God with your heart and your soul and your mind and you're praying the prayers and you're singing the songs to him and studying his word and, and talking with him and growing in him. Which means... If you're the worshipers, who's the audience? God is the audience. He's the one who's evaluating, looking at the hearts of all of us because he's searching to and fro across all the world to find those whose hearts are set before him. And ever since the very beginning, go back to Genesis chapter 4. And you see, he's been evaluating worship. He looked at Abel's worship and he said, that is good worship. And he looked at Cain's and he said, that's unfavorable. I don't think so, Cain. And so that's what we were talking about last week is is how your job is not to come in here to sort of sit and just watch us, but you're the worshipers. Now today I want to continue in this three-part series that we're sort of doing a little mini-series we're calling Stronger Together before we start into our big fall series right after Labor Day, I want to continue the conversation <clears throat> talking about what makes a vibrant church stronger together by, uh, by talking about how you and you and you and you all have a role to play using your gifts and your talents and your abilities if the church is, suppo- is ever to be what God had in mind for us to be. Again, though, I'm afraid that many Christians, particularly in the West, particularly in America, are missing out on this whole concept. 
And it has become very much a spectator sport where people are just sitting up in the stands and, and watching the other people who are doing the serving and watching the other people doing the ministry and uh, as if you were never given a role to do, as if God never had a, anything in mind for you to do it. That's not what the church was ever intended to be, not when you look at scripture, as we're going to see in a few minutes, which if you do that, it turns you into sort of like the, the flat flashlight that several years ago I went to reach for in my garage that had been sitting there for several years. And if you've ever done this, you've had the experience, the battery juice started oozing out and, and it gets corroded and crusty and, and just it, it, it useless as it's sitting there idle. And I think that there's a lot of American Christians who are like that flashlight. They're just not in the action that God had in mind. Now, when we started Faith Bridge 23 years ago, we said, no, no, that's, we don't want to be that. We're going to be a church that defies the Pareto principle. You know the Pareto principle where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people? And we said, let's, let's not be that. Let's be a church where nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Because if everybody will step into the action and use the gifts and the abilities that God has given to each of us, then we will really be a thriving, healthy church, a, a well-functioning church. That's what we set out uh, to be. And, but there's a challenge. It's always a challenge uh, because you hit bumps in the road and sometimes people come along and, and, and maybe they, they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not very good at, at stuff. Uh, I, I don't have much to offer. I, I better just stay out of the way. Occasionally you get somebody on the other extreme who says, you know, I'm too good <laughs> to serve around here for free. And we're like, well, that's a problem of a different sort. But even more frequently, I, <clears throat> I hear people say, I'm just so busy. I've just been through a pandemic, if you haven't noticed. And uh, yeah, I have noticed. And that's why I kind of felt like we need to talk about it, because I'm not liking what I'm seeing that it has done. Uh, really, pastors are, I mean, we're all studying this and trying to figure out, okay, so what does this mean for the American church? Uh, because we're, we're seeing any number of people who, who were very active, who were serving, who were using their gifts and their talents and finding fulfillment and doing that. And, and then they pulled back. And, and of course, everybody pulled back. And we needed to pull back to, while we're figuring out how do we stay healthy. And, and then, you know, but, but finally, you have to, now that we know how to stay, and I'm not saying that the virus isn't real, the virus is very real. And, but we have to kind of move back, learn how to stay healthy and, and, and move forward so the body of Christ can be who God always intended us to be, even as we continue on in this pandemic. Which is why I want us to look at a verse in 1 Peter today. So take your Bibles and we'll go to 1 Peter. Uh, you can turn in your uh, devices or maybe you brought a Bible or if you need a Bible, I see the ushers are going to bring some here and uh, you just wave at them and they'll let you borrow it or you can keep it. First Peter, it's way towards the back in the New Testament. We're just going to look at one verse. But while you're turning to First Peter uh, chapter 4, let me give you a little of the context of what was going on 
Um, and that is Peter, who was one of the original 12, you remember, um, he, this is several decades after Jesus has gone back to heaven. And he's writing this letter to Christians, early church Christians in the first uh, century, who are going through suffering, who are going through uh, difficult, hard times, and they're hoping that they're not going to get killed. Why would they get killed? Well, particularly, there was an emperor named Nero, and Nero has done the Christians quite a disservice. Uh, after a huge fire that ravaged Rome, uh, Emperor Nero decided to, to cast the blame on the Christians, make them the scapegoats. And the Christians had started the fire, but this was their, the duress, causing the duress that they were in. And so Peter's writing this letter to these Christians who are scattered around the Mediterranean region. And he's saying, hey, let me remind you who you are as a follower of Christ. Yes, you're under duress. Yes, you're potentially, you're being persecuted. And yes, you might even get killed for your faith. But let me remind you who you are. That's what he's talking about in 1 Peter, uh, the whole little letter. Chapter 4, he gets to verse 8. And he says, hey, don't forget, you're to be loving. You're to be loving. If you want love, we who've been loved with the love of Christ, if we don't pass that love forward, who in the world will in this loveless world? And then verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. And then he gets to verse 10. And that's the verse that we want us to look at today. Let me read it to you. Verse 10, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God... Serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Now, this verse tells us three things. And so if you're a note taker, I'm going to give them to you. The first one is this. God made you to serve other people. You see that right smack dab in the middle of the, of the verse. He says, serve one another. See, we're saved by grace through faith. When we trust in Jesus, when we trust in the gospel, the good news, when we trust that God loved us so much to send us his son who would live the life of sinlessness we couldn't live and die the death of punishment we deserved and conquer the grave that we couldn't conquer so that we could come into relationship with him by faith. So we're saved by grace through our faith in him. But to what? For the next 20 or 40 or 60 years, just to twiddle your thumbs and just say, well, now back to life is normal until I finally get to go to heaven one day. No, that's not it. If, if he'd wanted you to go straight to heaven, he'd just take you straight to heaven. He said, I'm giving you 20 or 40 or 60 more years. Why? Because I want you to use gifts that I've put inside of you. And because if all of you will use your gifts, then as, as Paul will write to the Corinthians, which we won't look at today, 1 Corinthians 12, he'll say, you're the body of Christ. You'll be my hands and you'll be my feet if you'll use those gifts. And in Ephesians, he wrote in 2.10, he said, you have been created to do good works after you've been saved by grace through faith. To, why, why have you been saved? To do good works that he set out before for you to do. So that's, uh, he, he made you to serve other people. 
after the likeness of our Savior, who served to the uttermost, giving all of himself even unto death for our salvation. But there's a, a, a tendency, I, as I mentioned a moment ago, I, I'm, I'm concerned about it, in, in a, particularly in the American church. Somehow I think we have uh, gotten to where uh, some, not all, but some Christians are starting to divorce this thought of uh, my salvation by grace through faith from the rest of my life. And so I'm, I'm saved and now I just kind of do my normal life and I got to fend for myself. And, and you see this sometimes in, in the drawing back, in the self-consumption that's going on in American Christians. He said, I didn't save you to be self-consumed. I saved you to step into the body and make a difference in this world. So several years ago, Pastor Dan uh, told me a story it, it, it had to do with a, a lady who had been in our church for, for years, probably a good decade, uh, towards the beginning of the church. And she showed up everywhere and she served so faithfully. She served up front and back there and all. Anytime we had the doors open, she was, she was here helping us serve. And then uh, one thing and another, and God brought uh, a man into her life. They get married and it's wonderful, yay. And everything. But a year or two later, they moved off to Wyoming. And several years later, they came down just to visit. And Pastor Dan t- told me, I-, I-, I saw this and so. And I said, really, how is she doing? Well, he said, it's interesting. I talked to them and said, so, so you're in Wyoming? Yeah, we're in Wyoming. A- and they described uh, to me, Dan said, they described to me kind of the life that you're living and they're living. And Dan said, wait, wait, wait. You're not, beco- you're not becoming preppers, are you? And they said, well, actually, yes, we are. Now, Dan and I talked about that and we started searching scripture. And you know what? I couldn't find one verse in the whole Bible that says you ought to move off by yourself, isolate, stockpile food and water enough to last you forever and ever when the world goes to hell. That, that never, it, that's never what he said. No, Jesus said, don't, no, no, I, I, <laughs> I didn't save you to pull back and defend yourself. I saved you to move forward into the body to, to turn your focus towards others. To actually roll up your sleeve and say, I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to serve some other people. And I think we have to address that because I, I do hear on talk radio a, a lot of this sort of, well, not a lot, but sometimes people sort of this isolation. Now, it's one, yeah, go get some extra water if you've got a hurricane coming. But that's a different thing than, than what we're talking about. I do, I do get concerned that there are some Christians who are just sort of walling off. And that's a problem. You say, well, the times are a lot tougher than they were back then. No, they're just tough in a different way. But we don't have an emperor who's coming for us and trying to behead us and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just tough in a different sort of way. Christians have always had a challenge. And it's to that, he said, I want you to move into the action. Use uh, and serve one another. Now, that leads to uh, a second thing. How? How do I serve one another? Well, second thing is you have, you have been given a gift. And it needs to be used. You see that right in the next phrase there 
in the verse. He says, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Now, <clears throat> seeing all the kids that uh, went back to school here in the last week or two, uh, got me thinking about the new school year and memories that I had when I was a little kid. And I remember getting the school supplies and I love getting the new school supplies. I know it's just kind of felt fresh. And I particularly liked when I'd open the little box and there was my new box of crayons. And, and I remember I'd, I'd open up my new school supplies and I'd pour the crayons out on my bed and I would gaze at the pointed tips and I would, <laughs> I would smell the new crayon scent. And then I would carefully place the crayons right back in the right order uh, in, in the box. But there was a problem. I never drew much art. <laughs> I didn't want to wear the tips down. And, <laughs> but then when we were old enough, our class got to go to Miss McCullough's art room class. And I remember we walked into Miss McCullough's art room class and we sat down at tables of four, and I remember sitting down and looked in the middle of the table, and, and there was this little tray of, of crayons. And those crayons looked terrible. There was no order to them whatsoever. They are strewn about. They were broken. The paper is peeled back. They're shaved down. They're mere shadows of their former selves. And, <laughs> but I couldn't deny as I looked at all four walls of Ms. McCullough's classroom, she had art hanging everywhere. And that's when it dawned on me that brand new, unused, pointy-tip crayons can only give you what was hanging on my wall at home. Nothing. And... <clears throat> So the only way you get to tear into those suckers and you, and you start using them the way that they were meant to be used can you end up with art on the wall like Ms. McCullough had. Same with your gifts, the gifts that God has put inside of you. They weren't made or they weren't given to you from God just to sit nice and neat inside of you, isolated. No, 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 they're meant to be used for the good of the body. And so he gives you and you and you and you. He gives all of us a spiritual gift. Now, this is an interesting subject. People say sometimes, would we ever do spiritual gift inventories here? Because there's 15, 18, 21, 24 spiritual gifts, depending on how you sort of break them out. And, and we have done spiritual gift inventories. But I found a problem some years ago with spiritual gift inventories. They all are predicated upon your experience of using your gift. So a brand new Christian, a brand new follower of Christ fills out a spiritual inventory. Says, well, I, it asks, have you ever done this? Do you ever do this very much? And, and, and it's like, no, 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 never did that. No, no, I'm brand new to this. And so you get to the bottom, you're like, I got no gift. So that didn't work. But then you get somebody who's been in, uh, a follower of Christ for 30 years and you're like, have you done that? Yep. Do you ever do that? Yep. You like that? Mm -hmm. I like, you, know, you get to the bottom, you're like, I think I got 17 spiritual gifts. And that's the problem. It's like, okay, it's not really all or nothing. And, and, and so I think really the better way to try to figure out your, your gift 
is not to take an arbitrary spiritual gift inventory, although you can do that, and there's, you can find plenty of them online if you, if you want. But instead, here, I, I'd give you a couple of things. Jot down some passages. I'll give you four passages uh, right here. The first one comes from Romans 12, three through eight. Just jot those down. You can look them up tonight, and you, you just kind of make a little list of all the spiritual gifts uh, that Paul and, and, and Peter talk about. Which even there is probably not an exhaustive list, but a representative list because it's never always the same list in every deal. So, so you got Romans 12, you got 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 30, you got Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and then you have 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. That's the passage that we're in today. And in these verses, you will read uh, a mention of, 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 of spiritual gifts like, like teaching, like encouragement, like administration, like wisdom, like faith, like shepherding, and, and, and maybe a dozen or so more. And here in First Peter, particularly in this little passage, he's going to talk about two spiritual gift, uh, gifts in particular. One of them is hospitality, and one of them is serving, and both of those are so important in the life of the church. Hospitality, even this morning when I got here, there was people out in the atrium early and they're making coffee and bringing it over. The volunteers, unpaid servants who just show up and I love you and I thank you for doing it. And they set out the donuts and, and then today, especially with the party out there they put out the tacos and the iced tea and all this you know and the tables and the tents and you know and 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 so I'm, I'm thinking about hospitality and even there we you know we've got a ministry I don't know if you know that it's called the Martha's Kitchen because some people just like to cook and then there's other people who like my whole family has COVID it's like you know what let us bring you some stuff for a few nights and uh so, you know, there's, there's ways that we can show hospitality um, to, to, to other people. And then serving, he mentions also in this First Peter passage in the verses surrounding what we're looking at today. And even this morning, I was thinking when I pulled into the, to the, to the driveway, there were several guys out front, three in particular, and they had their yellow things on and, and they're setting out the cones. And I rolled down my window and said, thanks guys so much for being here and just making everything run. And, and these are guys who, they got busy lives. They got families. They got jobs. And they're showing up once a month or whatever the cycle is on their team. And they're serving to make things run. There's people serving down in the kids' ministry every single Sunday. There's people serving up here, singing, people who are serving back in the back that you don't see or running screens and technology and cameras and because they're like, I know how to do it. I'm, that's, that's, it's, it's easy, and I like to do it. It's, it's good to be a part of the action. There's people who are serving people, like I think of Charles, who prayed over every single chair that you're sitting in, in this room. Maybe he goes over to the communion service and prays over those two. I don't know, but, but every single chair you got, Charles was in there. It, but he, he needs some other people to say, you know what, I'd show up and I'd help be on that team, on one of the prayer teams. So we got people who are serving all over. the, And that's what makes a church really work well. When we start using 
our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and we step into the action to serve other people. Rick Warren says, God gave you a gift, but it's not for you. It's for me. God gave me a gift, but it's not for me. It's for you. And if you don't use your gift, you're robbing me. And if I don't use my gift, I'm robbing you. See, this is how the body of Christ works. And this is why I'm, I'm concerned about people who are just sort of pulling out. And I was like, I don't see, we can't pull out. We've got to figure out ways that we can stay healthy, that we can stay safe, and that we can serve in the name of Christ. Because he doesn't call us to isolationism. Only when we all use the God-given gifts that he's given to us will the body of Christ be who we're called to be. And I'll let you in on a little secret. Really, the best way to figure out what your gift is is just to put your foot in the water and try. Try some things. That's why we have the expo. For you to go out and say, you know what? I think I'm going to, how about, let me take a trial run on this team and this team and this team. And just see what works. I can think of guys who, who signed up and said, you know what? I'll lead a, a small group of, of junior high guys. And they come away and they say, that's the best, most meaningful thing I think I ever did. Others try it and say, Grr. and <laughs> so that's good. You kind of find out that's not my thing. And then you, 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 you get to move on and try something else. And, and, and so that's the great thing about just, just trying different things. You and you and you. And you, if, if we'll do that, then the body of Christ will work the way it's intended to work. Thirdly and last, Peter tells us using your gift is a matter of stewardship. You see that at the start of the verse. He says, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gifts you've been given. Like good stewards. Now, what do we think of when we think of stewards? When we think of stewards, we tend to think of money. And we tend to think of, of, of stewardship like God is the owner and we don't really own anything that we have because ultimately the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so it's to us on loan. And, and if he says, hey, I want you to give something, we give it back. And that's, that's stewardship. But here he's not talking about money. This is an interesting thing. He's talking about gifts, your spiritual gifts and serving. He's saying even that has been given to you. And so the question is, how are you stewarding that? How are you using those gifts, you say, well, I, I got gifts that I don't know the church could use. I don't know. Try us. I, I think of two guys on our lay elder team. They're both attorneys. They're fantastic uh, thinkers. They have clarity. And, and we couldn't, we wouldn't be the church that we were if, if we didn't have those. There's just all sorts of ways that you can use the gifts that God has put inside of you. 
The question is, though, how are you stewarding it? Now, when you think of stewardship, you also think about accountability, right? And you even see that in verse 7, where he says uh, a little higher than this verse, the Lord is coming back soon, which was the watchword of all Christians back then, and it is even today. We know he's coming back soon. We don't know what like really soon means now, like they really thought it was like then, but it's been 2,000 years, and who knows? Maybe it'll be 2,000 more years. We just don't know. So we get in the game knowing it could be today. And I want to be found using the gifts that God gave to me. Why? You see in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, something interesting. And it has to do with accountability and the testing of our usefulness with the gifts that he has given us to steward. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, all of our works in the end, when we stand before him, will be tested by fire. Now, this isn't hellfire. This isn't the fire of judgment and damnation. But this is the purifying fire of the redeemed. The Bible says there'll be some who will stand before the Lord and having trusted him and accepted the gospel. They're saved by grace. And then the fire... A holy fire of God will test their works and what they did. And it says some of those works will stand strong, like pricey materials, like gold. And you're like, wow, look at look how you stewarded your, look at the, the mark that you made with the time I gave you on earth. Other people, on the other hand, he says, it's not going to be so great. You're going to see other people's works amounted to nothing more than wood and stubble. It'll burn up. It says they'll be saved, um, but they'll suffer loss as one just escaping through the flames. Well, I'm like, you know, of those two groups, sign me up for the first one. I think I want to be in the group that God says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. You use the gifts that I gave you to steward with the, uh, with the years that I gave you to use them. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I would encourage you to consider stewardship, not just because of potential consequences, but on the flip side of the coin, for the positive. Because a faithful steward is a fulfilled steward. You show me somebody who is, is faithfully using the gifts that he or she has been given by God. And I'll show you somebody who, who says, this is what I was made to do. I love doing this. When I think of an example of a person like that, I, uh, one person who comes to mind is our children's pastor, Kelly Hickey. This past Tuesday, she was talking to our staff at our weekly staff meeting that we call Staff Link. And she kind of got on a roll and it was touching and it moved any number of us. And at the end, I went back and asked the guys, did you by chance, were you running a board tape of that? And they said, actually, we, we were not video, but audio, but we can put some stuff to it if you want us to. I said, yeah, I want you to listen. Let her talk about it right here. The first time I came to Faith Bridge was the last time we had a church in someone's home. 
And my boyfriend and I, he wasn't my husband then, he was my boyfriend. And I walk in and we had been recruited to be part of the kids ministry team. And that's really all I knew about Faith Bridge. We were kind of going to a Bible study that was a lot like breakaway and looking for a church. And we thought, okay, we'll go check it out. So we get there and I weirdly go up to Ken and I'm like, hey, I'm Kelly, who are you? <laughs> He's like, I'm the pastor, pass these out. And uh, he played the keyboards and led us in worship and he gave us like a little sermon. I'm sure it was meaningful. And he gave everybody a job. He was like, hey, I need somebody to go to Kinko's and I need somebody to go do this because that's there's a church of 30 people and everybody had work to do. Like we were all part of it and we didn't even know we were part of it. And then the next thing happened. Honestly, it's one of the most impactful things that's ever happened to me in my life. Ken said, okay, I want you guys to break up into groups that are three or four and we're gonna pray for the future of our church. And he gave us little partners to pray with and he gave us something to pray about and my boyfriend and I turned to the people to our left who were David and Sharon Cooper who I'd never met before that night and Ken told us to pray for the children so the first thing that I ever did as a faith bridger was pray with Sharon Cooper who would later become the kids ministry director and we did ministry together for like 14 years um and we prayed for the future of the church. And we prayed for what God might do in the lives of the kids. And I'm looking at some of you who grew up here. And your kids grew up here. And I think about the prayers that we've asked God for over the last 23 years. The things that we've asked God to do. And God's faithfulness in doing them. I heard stories this summer of things that were happening on the road and in FSM and and it's just like yeah and I can think back to we didn't know what we were doing we did not know what we were doing over and over and over again going to God knowing we don't know what we're doing and God proving himself to be faithful and showing us when we didn't know and that's what this summer that's what this last 20 something months, that's what the last 23 years have been with me and my relationship with God and what I get to do here. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know God <laughs> and I know that he's faithful and I know that he's enough and I know that he provides for us. And I know that he shows us and I know that he protects us. I know that he empowers us. And so that's the thing, like, don't be afraid to just get real and humble before God and be like, I don't know, I don't know what we're supposed to do and allow him to show you and carry you and teach you and grow you. And then in that, he gives you this front row seat to get to see him move and it's incredibly faith building. Amen.
You know, you know why he is faithful? Even when you don't know what to do, if you'll just take a step, if you'll just, if you'll just start moving the car, as Tony Evans says, because God can't really move a parked car, but you get moving, he'll get you in the right lane. You know why he's faithful to help you? If you just get going, I'll tell you why. Because he has no plan B. Think about it. He, he never said, I want you and you and you and you to be the body of Christ. My hands and my feet in this world to make a difference, to bring light and love and joy and hope. And, and, and to be a salt agent of preservative in this decaying world. But if you decide to back off and isolate, I got plan B. He didn't ever, he, he had no plan B. We're the only plan. And that's why he's faithful. So the question that I have for you, will you step in? Will you start driving? Just try. <laughs> like apparently that night I asked Kelly to. 23 years ago. I want you to do it today. Would you do that? Even when we pray in a minute, we're going to be done. I'm going to let you go out to the expo. I want you to get involved. I want you to say, you know what? I, I, I will. I don't want to just be one of 50,000 people sitting in the stands who need to get the action. I want to actually get in the action and start seeing if God might do something in me and through me. That's what I want for you. And one thing's for sure. The body of Christ needs you. We need you. So today's your day. Let me pray. Lord, now would you put your hand of blessing upon each of us as we go from here. Thanks for... Uh, the word that you've given to us. The concept that we're stewards of your manifold, multicolored grace. And with that, you call us to serve one another with the unique gifts that you've given to each of us. Won't you help us to be faithful in doing that, Jesus? I pray it now. In your strong name.